the city, the uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. And that's referring to us believers. Zion is always the church, and we are an embodiment of the church. And God is telling us to awake because there is tendency that the church is sleeping, and we all know that the church is actually sleeping. Because how can we, what will make me say that? Even within this body of Christ, how many people turn up for prayers? during the week how many just a fragment and how many are actually praying at home we may have time to do every other thing have time to maybe read the newspaper go through our emails we won't feel sleepy then but when it comes to things that pertain to the kingdom seeking the face of the lord studying the scriptures we don't want to give us a test but the bible studies how many of us are still keeping up with it we don't want to test ourselves. Let's not test ourselves. But we all know ourselves. So these are the things that will enable us to be rooted and grounded in the kingdom. So that when Jesus comes, it will not be like the thief in the night. The Bible says, for those who are children of the day and children of the light, the coming of the Lord will not be as a thief in the night. It's for the Eden. It's for the unbelievers. It's for the sleepers. So this is the time for us to awake as a church. This is the time for us to awake because our salvation is more closer than when we first began. And the Bible says that we should clothe ourselves with strength. It talks about the strength of salvation. Each day we should be clothed. Each day we should place ourselves on the spiritual scale and really assess ourselves. Are we putting on weight spiritually? Are we increasing but the Eric also made mention of that book of Peter, where he says that we should make every effort. So every day we must make every effort to add to our faith, to add to your faith. Not the faith of believing, but the faith of you being a Christian, the faith of salvation as a believer. We need to add goodness. We need to add patience. We need to add self, you know, self-control and all this joy, love, peace. We need to add it so that when Jesus comes, we will sense his coming, and his coming will not meet us on our ways. So it's time for us to rise up out of sleep. It is time for us to rise up from our slumber and be clothed with the rope of righteousness. So swiftly we are going into Isaiah 54. Now, Isaiah 54 is the future glory of Zion. Now, it's in continuation of Isaiah 51 or 52 and 53. 52 and 53 talked about the suffering of Christ, the suffering and his death. And the death of Christ and his resurrection is what salvation is all about for us who are born again. If Jesus did not die and resurrect, then we will not partake of the glory of salvation. So, Isaiah, in Isaiah, 54 was prophesying about the future glory of the church, the future glory of the believers. That means that those of us who are serving Jesus day and night faithfully, our salvation is not going to be in vain. There is always a glorious future ahead of us. So Isaiah 54 is about the future glory of Zion or the future blessing, the blessed state of the church. Now it, it started by saying, sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. This is a word of comfort to the barren woman. This is a word of comfort to the one who, do not, who have never born a child, who have never been in labor. Is a word of comfort. This is in two folds. Because if we go into Galatians chapter 4, from verse 27, if we quickly have that on the board. Galatians 4, 27. It talks about the old covenant and the new covenant. During the time of Abraham, in a paraphrase, we knew that Abraham gave birth to Ishmael. Ishmael was not a man of, was not a son of promise. He was the one born in the natural way. But we have Isaac, who was the son of promise. He was the spiritual son. And the Bible recorded that Agai despised Sarah, who was barren. Not forgetting that, if not because of her, she would not have had Ishmael. 
but despise. So let's go quickly into that scripture because Paul, being an intelligent and learned man, gave us a full picture of what Isaiah 51 is all about in this dispensation that we are and how we can relate it to ourselves. Galatians 4, and I read from verse 27. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, who, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Verse 28. Now, you brothers and sisters, now this is the explanation to that verse. Like Isaiah, our children of promise. That is, we are children of promise. Like Isaac, sorry. Like Isaac, our children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, which was Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit, which was Isaac, because he was a boy of promise. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So that is why we cannot share inheritance with the world. Our inheritance is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So as long as you are born again, as long as you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you do not belong to the flesh. Ishmael came from the flesh. Isaac came from the spirit. You are born of the spirit. And there is a promise for those who are born of the Spirit. There is also a promise for those who are born of the flesh. He that is born of the flesh is flesh. But the one that is born of the Spirit is from the heavenlies. And so guess what? All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places belong to those who are born in the Spirit. So, back to Isaiah 54. Now God says, sing, barrel woman. It is time for us as believers to sing. Because we do not belong to the free to the to the slave slave woman we are children of the free and also as i said this is in many fold those of us those who are trusting god for the fruit of the womb can get comfort from this because the bible says sing barren woman why should this barren woman sing in your barren states god said sing is because when a child of God is facing issues, we don't see the issues. We see beyond the issues. We see the promise behind the issues. So when a barrel, if, if someone is barrel, they, don't, they are not stuck in their barrenness. They hold on to the scripture that says, worship the Lord your God. For he will cause his blessing to come upon your food and your water. And part of the blessing is that none shall be barren. And the Bible also says in the book of, I think it's Psalm 133, it says that he's the one who makes a barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. So the Bible is saying that in your barrenness, and it might not be just barrenness of the womb, it could be barrenness in terms of your finances, in terms of your spiritual life, you are just dry up. God says, sing, sing. Because there will be many of, the spirit, many of the children of the desolate woman than that of the husband. Going back to Isaac, even though a guy gave back to Ishmael, there is no rec- record of it that she gave back to somebody else. Because the story about a guy was close. Because God didn't want to lay emphasis on that because it's not relevant to us. But the story of Isaac continued. Even though Abraham was childless, Sarah was childless, now they became a father of nations. So many are the children of the desolate woman. Many are the children of Sarah than that of the one that has a husband, a guy. So in whatever situation that we may find ourselves, it is very important that we trust God. Because God will always make his promise to come to pass. In verse 2, he says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent cutting wide. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. So this is talking about the growth. It's talking about productivity. 
God is always interested in increase. He's always interested in multiplications. God doesn't want us to be just one. I love the scripture in the book of Azar that we read sometimes ago that we did Azar 51 verse 2. It said, look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one. And I blessed him and make him many. So God's will for every child of God is to, pro, is to reproduce, is to replenish. We cannot box God out. We cannot limit God. When God calls a child of God, your, his intention is for, to make you many to make you productive, to make you profitable. It's when he talks about, the, in the book of John, he talks about those who bear fruit. He said it, is a will, it, it takes pleasure in those who bear fruit. He said when my disciples bear fruit, I take pleasure in them. When a disciple do not bear fruit, when their fruit is just one, he is not interested in that. It's like the talents. When he gave one, he gave two, he gave five. He was able to commend on the one that brought two because he brought two back making it four and the one that came back with five but the one who has just one talent and you know multiply to show that god is interested in our reproduction and in our productivity he told he told the one with one you could have just put it in the bank because if it is in the bank it will yield interest so god wants us to increase he wants us to produce to reproduce ourselves it is not good enough for us if i want to make it in an analogy those of us who are employee god wants us to be employers god wants us to bring livelihood to others when you are the only rich person and your riches is basically just for you just to make you feel good and you are not affecting lives it's not pleasure to god it's not pleasing to god at all god wants us to produce livelihoods to others and i i love the scripture in the book of proverbs chapter 30 each time i read that scripture it's like god i read it in another way and i'm going to show us now in proverbs chapter 30 I think verse 7 and 8. He said, two things I ask of you. This man was asking God. Two things I ask of you. Not many things. Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's not where I'm going. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't read it that way. Because I don't want, I don't want poverty, right? But I want riches. And the last verse is what really explain it all, that this man lack understanding. He said, but give me only my daily bread. God doesn't want to, you to just have your daily bread. He wants you to have more than your daily bread. He wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to have excess. He wants you to have extra so that you'll be able to give unto those who are in need. So providing livelihood. So God doesn't want us to limit him. God wants us to expand the capacity of our heart to believe him for plenty, to believe him for greatness. Enlarge the place of your tent. Don't box God. Don't limit God. Our God is limitless. Stretch out your curtain wide. Verse 3 says, for you will spread out to the left to the right and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate city these are all words of blessing these are words of blessing that we need to be prophesying to ourselves what does it mean to spread out in those days this is this is Isaiah prophesying to the future of the church that the church is not just going to be just one little house but the church will be noise about the church will be pre- the gospel will be preached across the world and thank god in our day media has even made it easier for us so ministers don't even have to go to all these places but because thank god for the power of satellite that people are able to hear the gospel from different parts of the world i the, the book of uh, it's the thessalonians first thessalonians 1 4 to 9 i read this quickly for us. That's where the, the gospel spread into places that they least expected. 
He said, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we live among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave, you, you gave us. They tell us, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, the gospel spread into nations that will never have heard the gospel. That was the future prophecy foretold by Isaiah. That there will come the future glory of Zion where the gospel will spread. He said you will spread out to the right and to the left. And your descendants will dispossess nations. The Israelites dispossess nations. They dispossessed nations. They took nations over. Nations that were not theirs. They took it over with all the resources, with all the luxury inside. The Bible says that they were in, they, be, they live in houses that they never built. They were custodians of wealth that they never dig. So they were able to gather all these things because the Lord's presence was with them. How much more we that are of the spirits. The present church says that we will settle in those desolate cities. So there is no organization as a child of God that you cannot penetrate. Some people say, by the color of your skin, there is a limit to where you can go. No way. As long as you are a child of God, you are a child of covenant, you will penetrate into those organizations. The Bible says it. Settle in their desolate cities. Those places that have been desolate, they have tagged it that is for this class of people, not for a child of God. Because laws do not bound us. We have a God who is above the law. The Bible says in the book of Psalm 24, we read it every day. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So everything that is in this world belongs to God. They are subject under God without people knowing it. And they don't, know, they don't need to know it. But we as a true child of God, we need to know these things. We need to know our rights. That there is no place we cannot penetrate to because we will spread out. Verse 4 said, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. What are the shame of your youth? The shame of your youth is the, the sin that you committed when you are still not save the shame the, the, the shame of your youth we the youth have this common scripture that they read all the time second timothy 2:22. flee we all know it at the desires of the youth but pursue hallelujah so we know it so the the, the bible says we will not remember the sin of our youth that's why when you are born again no matter what you've done in the past as far as god is, is concerned it never existed it's all been blotted out. When God shows you your file, it is all white. Nothing. Because you will forget the shame of your youth. And he also said you will forget the reproach of your widowhood. Widowhood. That means that someone who is not married, who were married but divorced. Or married and the husband is dead. Yes, that's what widow means. But in, as someone who is separated from God, we as children of God, we are the bride of Christ. Once you are separated from Christ, the shame of widowhood will come in. But God says that in your separation for a while, you, all the reproach that you went through, you will forget all about them. Why? Because you've returned unto me and you've repented. But he says that do not be afraid. For you will not be put to shame. Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. He said, do not be afraid. A child of God should not be afraid. What makes us to fear? First John chapter 4 verse 18. Perfect love casts away fear. 
So where our love has not been made perfect, fear comes in. When your love for God is not being made perfect, then you are open to fear. But God says that once our love life is perfected with God, what, is, what does it mean to perfect your love? You submit under the Lordship of Christ for all your entirety. Everything that concerns you is submitted under Christ. You don't just give God a part of you, and then a part of you is for your own pleasure. No, God wants the whole of you. In your finances, he wants you to submit it under Christ. In your relationship with your husband or wife, if you are married, he wants you to submit under Christ. In your working place, he doesn't want you to become like an infidel out there in the in workplace because, ah, members of Christ with a banaco are not here. I can do whatever I like. No, if you love God, you'll be, you carry God everywhere you go. You are conscious of him 24-7. So, when our love for God is perfected, Fear will not have room in us. Fear will not have room in us. So do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not be disgraced. You will do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Anyone who is faithful to the call of God will not be afraid. And, and you will not be put to shame. You will not suffer disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Because all these things, Jesus has taken it on our behalf. He was shamed. And also he was humiliated because of us, so that we can be glorified. And verse 5 said, for, you, for your maker is your husband. And that's what I said. We are the bride of Christ. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole world. Can you imagine what a privilege? Who are we, flesh and blood, to marry to God himself? We are the bride of Christ. And for us to fulfill our obligation as wife, we need to study what Ephesians, you write it down because of time, we will not go into it, but Ephesians 5:22 to 30 tells us what the obligation of husband and wife is. But we know that as a wife, just take it literally, what is the duty of me, the wife? As a wife, I need to submit to the headship of my own husband. I can't just take decision on my own because I have a head. Anyone who takes decision by themselves have no head. If you, have, if, you are, if you are living with a man and you have a decision that you are making, crucial decision, or regardless of whether it's crucial or not crucial, and you do not inform your husband that this is what I want to do, then you become headless. We cannot make decision on our own. And when I'm saying don't make decision on your own, doesn't mean that when you are at work and you need to make decision, you need ah, I need to phone my I need to phone my husband somewhere. I'm talking about decision decision that affects the family. Yeah, I must say that clear because some people will take it like, Oh, what is Pastor Debbie talking about? Of course, because we are intelligent when we are at work. Yes, we need to make decisions, but the Holy Spirit will help us to make the right decision anyway. But I'm talking about the decision that involves the life, the family. You can't build house in your, in your village and your wife, your husband doesn't know anything about it. So it is, the church, they submit under Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. So before the church can do anything, everything needs to be subjected under Christ. Before the church can make any decision that has to do with the running of the church, it has to agree with what the word says, which is Jesus himself. So we are the maker, our maker, who is Jesus himself, is our husband. And verse 8 says, the Lord will call you back as if you are a wife deserted. And I'm going to read that to till eight so that I can match them together as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit with wife who married young only to be rejected says your God for a brief moment I abandoned you but with deep compassion I will bring you back in a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Didn't we see it as we were journeying through this book of Isaiah? The Israelites were like, 
falling, rising, falling, rising, falling, rising, and God was extending his heart, his hands of compassion to them. Compassion is the nature of Christ. Mercy is the nature of Christ. So, no matter how we are far out, the moment we come to him, with his own hand of compassion, he will get us, he will take us back. He will never say, but you did it last time. You promised me you will never do it again. That, that is not the language of my own Savior. That's the language of those of us who are still living in the natural. But for my Savior, he never talked that way. He won't, he won't have it in a diary that, uh-uh, this is the 52nd time that you've come to me over and over again from the same matter. No way. God's nature is compassionate. And he will always extend his hand of compassion to us. So let's, let's know the only thing that will make us be separated from God is our sin. But the moment you realize that, yes, I'm a sinner, God forgive me of my sin. And you meant it in your heart. Don't just have a flimsy way of saying it, oh, I've sinned against you. But in your heart of heart, you knew that when the opportunity arises again, you will fall into the same sin. But when you deliberately go to God and say, God, I have fallen. I'm so sorry. Just let us do it like David did, broken before God. And you said, God, I will never do it again. I will never do it again. Help me, oh God. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we say all these things, we will never do this, we will never do this. But if you do not allow the helper to lead you, you will fall into the same sin again. So that is why we need to make use of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide us and help us to make that decision not to fall into sin. But the moment we return to God, God with his own hands of mercy, kindness, and compassion will receive us back. He said he will only heed his face for a while, just for a moment. For his love is from everlasting. Verse 9 says, to me, like it, to, to me, this is like the days of Noah. And if you want to study the book of Noah, you know where it is. Genesis, we talk, we talk about Genesis chapter 9, verse 11 to 17. Talk about the covenant that Jesus, that God made with Noah. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah will never again cover the earth. And did God, did, did God keep his promise? He did. Because we've, we've not seen a flood destroy the whole earth. There is certain, there are flood in certain areas, but never the whole earth. Because God kept his promise. And by showing it with the sign of a rainbow. Each time we see the rainbow, we know that that was a covenant he made with Noah. He said, so now. And said, so now. Yes, I've made that covenant with Noah about the flood. But now I have sworn not to be angry with you. Never to rebuke you again. This is the, this is the, the voice of a loving father. So this is another covenant that is making with us the glorious church. Prophet, prophet Azar must have seen the dispensation of grace. Because in the days of law, <coughs> you dare not. There is so much bloodshed. God's anger burns. Just on the spot, many are killed. Just one little mistake. By someone touching the mountain, burnt. Someone speaking against the man and woman of God. But you know in our own days now, a lot of slandering is going on. And they are still existing. They are still working. They are still living. Because God said. That doesn't mean that their punishment is not accumulating if they don't repent. Because when we talk about dispensation of grace, it's not a license to sin. It's not a license for you to act anyhow or just behave anyhow and allow sin to prevail. Mm-mm. He said, if when grace abounds, should sin also remain? No. God forbid. It's not a license to sin. But God will not be angry or rebuke us on the spot. As he did during the Old Testament. He's a merciful God. Because if someone who slander God or slander God's people today, go to God and say, God, forgive me. 
heal this my mouth. Set a watch upon the door of my lips. Help me to control my tongue. Help me to always say what edifies at all times. Help me to learn to keep quiet. You know, God will answer. God will answer the person. But in the days of old, just that one mistake, you're gone. So God says, so now I have sworn not to be angry with you. When God swear, we all know that to, to make a, a oath, it has to be bonded with one or two, you know, two or three witnesses. But in the book of Hebrew, you know, God cannot agree with any man because he's God. So he has to swear on his own, by his own name. Because he cannot swear by someone lesser. There is no one greater than him. There is no one. He cannot swear with someone lesser. So he has to swear by his own self. And that's to show how bounding his covenant is. And how strong. And how he will keep to his covenant. Verse 10 said, Though the mountain be shaken, and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you. I just want us to really appreciate the love of God. I appreciate that you are loved. You may not be loved by man. Maybe some of you have been facing rejection. But guess what? There is a God who never rejects you. I mean, if you need someone to just console you and comfort you and want to feel good about yourself, because some people are in a marriage or they are in a relationship or they are in a working company that they are not appreciated. And that can be so hurting. But you can read this verse. This is a love word to you in person that the God of the whole universe loved me. Oh, we need to find, you know, get our strength from this and our confidence back from this. Some of you may be feeling like inferior or you have a low self-esteem of yourself. That is why the word of God is very important. That you read this word over and over and over and over again so that you can build up your confidence in him. So though the mountain may be shaking, you know, mountains are solid structures. Hills are solid structures. Well grounded. And you think that they can never be shaken. But look at the volcano eruption. You can shake the mountain. Lately this year alone, there are so many earthquakes all over the place. Shake the mountains. So nature can shake all this unshakable and strong structure. How does that relate to us? There are some people that are, represent mountains, circumstances in your life that represent mountains. So they may be shaking. They may be terrorizing you. They may test your faith. But yet... What cannot be shaken is God's unfailing love for you. What cannot be shaken is this covenant of peace that will not be removed from you. So a child of God, guess what? We have the peace of God with us. We have God's unfailing love. That means his love never fails. Do you know that even if you make a mistake, God still loves you? God doesn't love you because, oh, you are so good. You are the first person to arrive in church. In fact, seven days in a week you are in church. You cannot miss it. You pay your tithe. You give to the poor. You go out for evangelism. Mm-mm. Works is just for your own livelihood to build you up. It doesn't move God. Some people may say, well, I don't have all these things. When we go later to all these other scriptures, you will find out that our works, we are doing it for ourselves. You are not doing it to make God love you more. So God loves you regardless. Regardless. So his love for you is unfailing. And his covenant of peace will be, never be removed. So you have God's covenant of peace with you. You have God's comfort. Isaiah 40 talks about comfort, 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 all ye my people. So God will comfort you. Where there is trouble, the child of God has peace. Your peace is not determined because you, just, you are just promoted. Even when you are facing needs and you are tried, you still have the peace of God. A lot of us are laughing 
you see us laughing and say, oh, this one is well to do. He has no problem. Oh, God loves her so much. God loves him so much. But when we open our Pandora box to you, you will know that, wow, what makes you happy then? Is it all fake? I'm telling you, it's not fake. No one is faking it here. I can guarantee you it. No one is faking it here. We can go out there and you will still see the same smiling face. You can come to our home unannounced. You can still see the same smiling face. Why? Because the Prince of Peace is in us. God give us peace regardless of what we are going through. That is the benefit of salvation. That's the benefit of you having Christ on the inside. 11. Afflicted city, lashed by storm and not comforted. I will rebuild you with stones of Tokyo's. Your foundation with lapis laculi. Wow. I will make your battlement of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. We stop there. Now, afflicted city, we all knew when the Israelites were taken into exile, they have to leave their place, their own, the promised land, and go into Babylon. Whereas all of their luxury, all the beautiful temples, beautiful homes, were all taken over. Taken over by the Assyrians, destroyed, completely destroyed. But God promised that he's going to rebuild them. And guess what? When it was rebuilt, it was not rebuilt to the original state. It was rebuilt into a, into a structure that beautified the old one. That's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it, the Bible says in the book of Agai, I think Agai, yeah, Agai chapter 2 verse 9, he said the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. This also talk about heaven. Let me tell you, you want to know how heaven is built? Maybe that will make us to compose ourselves and looking forward to get there one day. Revelation 21 verse 18 to 21 said, The wall was made of jasper, the wall of, of heaven, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emeralds, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the third barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth tokyos, the eleventh jasmine, and the twelfth amethyst or something. Mind my pronunciation. The Twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent gold. So you know that our God is more than high class. More than high class. That is where we are going. That is our destination. But how does this repent? relate to us now that we are on this present earth you know we go through trials because we're afflicted city i don't know how many of us have been afflicted i don't know how many trials or any how many of us are going through trials right now the testing of our faith and we are not comforted but god says he will rebuild our life again and you know that when god rebuild your life he will not put you in your original form he will make you more beautiful it will make it more glorious. So I don't know what you are going through and you are saying, when will this happen? When is my husband going to be safe? We've had so many people who their husbands are not the one. They were saved, but they were saved. But in the long run, when God's timing for the husband's salvation to happen, the husband now became the preacher. The husband's growth was so much sporadic that... They were just saying, ah, where was I? But I was saved 10 years before you. 
Because when God will answer you, He will answer you big. He will answer you great. You are looking for a job, and you have been feeling, you, you have even run out of the numbers of applications that you have, you've, you've completed. But God says, on the day that God is now going to do it, you were applying just, okay, let them just give me one managerial position. Before they know it, they are now giving you, they are handing over a business to you. Uh-uh, we've had it in the Christ with Abanaku. They are handing the business to you. So, please, let's, let's trust God. So, God said he will rebuild us. With all these, all these are precious stones, fine stones, costly stones, expensive stones. So when God will reply, he will reply to us big. That's in. All your children will be taught by the Lord. And great shall be their peace. This is the promise for our children. And we are also children as well. Yeah? We look at ourselves that we shall be taught by the Lord. This should be the memory verse for every mother in the house. When you are praying for your children, the children that are in the womb, you don't just live until they are existing. When they are in the womb, even before conception, you are praying for those potential children that are yet to be born. All my children shall be taught by the Lord. And when they do come, you are not just prophesying that God they will be taught by the Lord. When those children are now there, don't just leave it to God to teach them. God wants to use you. And then the little deposit that you put in them, God will now bring the increase. I want to cite our brother there for, 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 as an example, Brother Eric and Brother Derek. Because their mom is close to me, so I know much about her. She will not mind me saying it. So she invested in those boys. She will not buy them PlayStation. She will not allow them to watch any program on the, on the, on the TV. She's, they don't watch all this uh, cartoon network. The time that she spends with them is to make sure that they read the Bible and then put in Christian programs for them. All those children's Christian programs. That's what they want from their younger age till they grow up. Until God now... Yes, this, the, the deposit she put in them is a little. God now magnified. Because all what these boys are saying, she, she has no hand in it. The only hand she did is the foundation she laid, and she's still laying those foundations. But in terms of bringing out the word, it's not, it's not from her. They are even teaching her, preaching to her. So when we bring up our children in the way of the Lord, the Bible is correct. It says that when they grow up, they will never depart from it. So as a, as a woman, we are the teachers of the house. God has ordained us as teachers in our own home. We are supposed to pray this prayer for them. All our children shall be taught of the Lord. When they go to school, let them be taught by God. Decision that they have to make among their peers, let God teach them. Wisdom, these things that they need to take, they need to know. Let God teach them. When we are not with them, let God teach them. All our children shall be taught of the Lord. And great shall be the peace of our children. None of our children should be rebellion. It is an abomination before God that a child of God's children are rebellious. If they are rebellious, then we need to mean business with them and pray for them. Talk to them until we see change. Uh-uh. God's word is true. When God says that you, all you watchmen give yourself no rest and give God no rest until they establish his, his righteousness in Jerusalem or in Israel and make them a praise of the earth. God's word is true. The more we are committed to praying for any rebellious child, God will change them. If we don't give up, God will not give up on them. So, Great shall be the peace of our children. Our children will be comfortable. They will have comfort. They will not be troubled. Another version said, great is the prosperity of our children. So our children can never be poor. Especially when parents are faithful in the Lord. Our children will never be poor. Our children will make sure, God will make sure that our children find favor in high places. Why? Because we have sown to the kingdom and we have sown into their life. In righteousness, you will be established. 
So these are from 14 to 15. They are the promise of the saints. So I will just read everything now. In righteousness you'll be established. Tyranny will be far from you. Or oppression will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be by my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. These are the promise for the saints. So the number one promise is that righteousness shall be your foundation. You will be established in righteousness. How will people know outside that you are the saints of God when you have a right standing with God? Everything you do is always right. Not in the sight of man because man will criticize you. When man is talking, oh, the, the company is going down, and you are saying the company is going up. When they say, ah, we are not making profit, and you are saying we are profitable, obviously in their own eyes, it's like you are not doing the right thing because you can see it. You can see it that the company is not really coming up. But because you know whom you have believed, you are talking from the faith point of view. So you are in righteousness. So a child of God must be established in the righteousness. You must be in the very center of God's will at all times. You must do the will of God at all times. Oppression will be far from you. You will not be oppressed by man. You will not be oppressed by devils. And none shall oppress your children either. And say so you will have nothing to fear. Why should you not have nothing to fear? Because God is your confidence. Because you love God. And God has become your hope, he has become your trust, he has become your reliance. And said, terror will be far away from you. That's why we are not afraid of terrorists. That's why we know when terrorists strike in one place, we will not be found there. Because it's at that time that God will make sure that our trade is delayed. At that time he will make sure that we wake up late. So that we are able to miss that train. At that time, we will make sure that we are delayed with a friend. We just come across a friend that we are talking to. So we didn't go to that shopping complex. Terror will be far away from you. That is the promise of the saints. And it says, If anyone does attack you, it will not be by my doing. So anything that is contrary to the blessing of God that comes near you, it is, has nothing to do with God. Any evil that befall any child of God has nothing to do with God. Evil doesn't come with God. It doesn't come from God because God is not evil. God is a good God. Sickness does not come from God. Lack doesn't come from God. Depression never comes from God. Anger doesn't come from God. But if it does come, the Bible says they will surrender to you. So it is our duty whenever we come across situations in our life that is questioning our faith or challenging our faith, we should be able to say they should surrender. Sickness needs to surrender. Lack needs to surrender. Failure needs to surrender. Bitterness needs to surrender. Anger needs to surrender. Sorrow needs to surrender. It is not by God's doing. 16. See, it is I who created the blacksmith. Who found the coals into flame and forged a weapon fit for his work? It is I who have created the destroyer to wreck havoc. So, these are all works of Satan. And God is the one who gives permission. So, anything that happens in the world is because God permits it. Remember Job. I know the situation of Job will never occur in our own life. <laughs> it will not. It cannot. So, but God permitted it. God permitted it. So anything that befall a child of God, don't just say that, ah, did the devil bypass God? No. It's because God permitted it. If God did not permit it, it will not happen. And if God permitted it, he also have a way out. He has provided a way of escape. So, but it says lastly, no weapon forged against you will prevail. I think that is one of the most common scriptures that believers have. No weapon forged against us will prevail. Yes, because that is our, that's God's promise for us. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. 
and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. And he said, this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and this is their vindication for me, declares the Lord. So every weapon used against us by the devil have been rendered powerless because they said it will not prevail. Every weapon, I don't know the weapon, if it's the weapon of sickness, even if it's this weapon of deception. You know, Apostle was saying it this Sunday, that a child of God who follows the way of truth can never be deceived. It's only those who follow error. But if you are grounded in the truth, you will never be deceived. So every weapon that Satan throws at a child of God, even when they are throwing it from home, through spell, it will never it will never prevail over a child of God because those weapons have been rather ineffective. As they are being thrown, they, they can never produce their expected results because for a child of God, it will not just work. So they are powerless because the scripture says in Proverbs 26 verse 21, says, whoever dig a pit will fall into it. And if someone roll a stone, it will roll back on them. So if someone wants to have an untimely death, let them try and cast the weapon. That's just it. If you want to die quick before your time, then throw the weapon. So no weapon. Let's not be afraid of all this voodoo or fetish powers. When you are afraid of them, that means you believe that they can work. And that means you nullify your inheritance in God. Because if God says, no weapon forged against you, he meant it. So if you are afraid of fetish powers, then you are now saying, God, I don't think just this mere word. Oh, I don't, eh. Heaven help those who help themselves. We really have to be wise. You be wise and then you take on board the fear. And when fear grip the heart of man, then those weapons will work. So a child of God should not be afraid because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And he says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. So all these promises, all these promises that we have been reading, they are the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Remember, servants of the Lord. Servants of the Lord are those who serve God. If you are not, if, you, if God do not cannot entrust you with his work, then you are not a servant of God. If you do not make yourself available to be used as a servant, then you are not. If God cannot depend on you, then you are not. If you are not available for his service, then you are not. So someone who will use all these promises, because there's no point of us just water-coating our mouth and like we are speaking it forth and nothing is happening. It's because you need to be a servant of the Lord for it to work. A servant of the Lord will obey God's command. A servant of the Lord will fear God. So we need to be. And God says this is our vindication from him, says the Lord. So we have been justified. So this is the blessed promise. And I pray that the Lord will enlighten us the more in these scriptures in Jesus' name.